Welcome to Being a Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. Today's topic, finding your voice. It has been well documented that BIPOC folks functioning in hyper white spaces often find themselves without a voice or feeling silenced or being silent or just kind of quiet. Today's guest has a fantastic journey of finding herself, her passion, and her voice. Carly Lee Jackson is the epitome of being young, gifted, and Black. She's a shark and sea turtle conservationist and has a Master's of Science graduate degree from Nova Southeastern, where she researched the effects of provisioning tourism on no sharks in Belize. Carly has worked with NSU's shark tagging program, tagging sharks along the coast of Broward County. She currently works at the most magical place on earth, the Walt Disney Company, as a sea turtle research associate, assisting with various marine conservation research as a part of the Disney conservation team. Carly is a member of the American Ismograph Society, where she was a 2019 YPRF diversity scholar. Previously, Carly has worked as a marine turtle specialist at Jumbo Lembo Nature Center and as an environmental educator in South Florida, taking taking students on outdoor educational trips all across Florida. Carly, along with a cohort of three other magical Black girls, founded the organization Minorities in Shark Science, and she currently serves as a director of communications for this organization. Originally from Detroit, Michigan, she graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Biology in 2016 from the Florida Atlantic University. Carly is very passionate about research and field work, striving to contribute to the conservation of sharks and sea turtles. She's eager to expose more minority students to the field of marine science and hopes to inspire more diversity in the field. Daughters, please welcome to the podcast our guest daughter, Carly Jackson. Applause and around. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. So, sea turtles and sharks, huh? Yes. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your journey to uh, to to this and um, how you exactly got there. Yes. Well, um, I'd say it's a interesting journey. Um, so it started out really, uh, I was just really intrigued by ocean animals at a young age. Um, you know, growing up in Detroit, there's really not much, there's no ocean. <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> thinking, yeah, true. There's zero ocean. Lots I mean, of water, but not the, ocean. Exactly. We've got the Great Lakes, but 
it's not the ocean. Um, anyways, so I remember I was very young and I saw a shark book on at some book fair somewhere. Um, and I begged my mom. I was like, please buy this book for me. I don't know what it was about the book, but I was just like, I need to read this book. Mm-hmm. I was probably like five or six years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally she got the book for me and I read it and was just immediately hooked. I can't remember wow. exactly what it was about sharks that mm-hmm. got me hooked, but I just remember just feeling like sharks were just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and wow. I was like, I have to work with them one day. <laughs> so yeah, I told my mom, I was like, I want to work with sharks. And they were like, okay, cool. And then it stuck with me the rest of, <laughs> all through high school. And they were like, mm-hmm. all right, so this is real. So, okay, we need to figure out how you can actually do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just, you know, i used books as my way as my like access to the ocean because I didn't I don't even think I had I had been to the ocean very young but it was in California and you know the water is really cold and (laughs) (laughs) and you know I didn't see any sharks or anything but um, but yeah I just engulfed myself in books and especially books on sharks and I remember Mm -hmm. we would go to the library the Southfield Public Library specifically Mm -hmm. I checked out I'm pretty sure I read all of the shark books that they (laughs) that they had Mm -hmm. I would be trying to figure out which books I didn't read yet and Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but yeah so I just used that as my access to the ocean and finally when I went to um Florida Atlantic University Mm -hmm. for undergrad Mm -hmm. I chose that school because one it was near the ocean it's about 2.8 miles away from the ocean I'm sure or three Mm -hmm. something like that (laughs) but um I started uh, my senior year is when I really got into uh actually doing more hands-on stuff with ocean animals and just taking classes more focused on marine biology and um at that point after I took those classes I was like this is definitely what I wanted to do. Like if there so, was no- so you had not really experienced the ocean before you moved to Miami to go to school? I had experienced it maybe like once or twice. Um, mm-hmm. Like I remember I could go, I went snorkeling. I think we went on a cruise at my senior year and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was just like all into it because I was like, it's the ocean. Finally, I'm like seeing fish. <laughs> so really before that I hadn't, um, been you know in the water all the time like a lot of people in Florida are <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you bet wow it, it that's fascinating to me that that stuck at such an early age really speaks to it being really divinely inspired yeah uh, yep in so many ways that at five years old that you had a passion for something that you had never seen before yeah I mm-hmm. It just, it's like, of course it wasn't, it, to me it was random, but it was just very, like, I still can't really remember what it was. It's just like, I saw the book and I was, I saw a picture of a shark and I was like, that, that's what I want. I, mean, I mm-hmm. need that. Well, and, and what's fascinating is, you know, there are all of these myths and, and some of it is true about, um, about black and brown people not being able to swim and not knowing how to swim. And, and so, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah. Oh, um, fun fact. I actually swam all the way through college. I was a collegiate swimmer and also had to break through barriers for that. So (laughs) I was definitely the dot in that form. So really from the start, I was, 
I was just always the only black person on um, a lot of my swim teams. I actually started on the, my first swim team was an all black swim team. And it was like, it was cool because we were actually like, you know, we were good. We were out there like taking titles and all that. Unfortunately, the team. That was in Detroit. That was in Detroit. Yes. And, um, you know, it was awesome because we were, that whole team was just breaking that stereotype of, you know, black girls can't swim. And I also was very, I learned how to swim when I was five. Um, Mm -hmm. I went with like a summer camp and I remember I was the first one in the water and the last one out of the water because (laughs) the reason why my parents (laughs) made me take some lessons is because they were so afraid I was going to like drown because I always, yep, I was just like, I got to get in the water. And they were like, Mm -hmm. all right, (laughs) she needs to learn how to swim. But immediately. Yeah, so then I I went into competitive swimming, and mm-hmm. um, once I left the all black team, I was on an all white team, and it was very, very, very different. And I so remember what was the difference for you? So tell us a so little bit about that. Specifically, I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember walking onto the pool deck for my first practice, and mm-hmm. like all eyes were just on me, and I was just like no this is not (laughs) I was I think I was maybe like 11 oh wow I was young so Mm -hmm. it was definitely my first experience really like being in an all-white space and Mm -hmm. also just like having that much attention on me and me being like why are y'all staring at me Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was just it was very bizarre for me because I was like do I look weird like what's going on do I have a booger um, in my nose right like do I have a booger in my nose but then like I think around that age is when I started becoming more like self-conscious about you know like I'm a black girl mm-hmm. on a, mm-hmm. in an all-white space like I don't see anyone else who looks like me mm-hmm. um and you know like I do remember when I first started like in the practice they put me in like the slowest lane <laughs> with all the slow people and then as practice went on it was kind of like oh like let's move her up a couple lanes because mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. she isn't slow like these other slow people <laughs> so so there was some there was some some um prejudicial ways that people dealt with you as far as your ability and talent as it relates yes. to being in the water. Yes. What, were some, what were some of the other challenges that you kind of um, had to deal with early on as you were competitively swimming and as a black and brown girl and being the dot? Yeah. So I remember, um, well, just in general, I was a distance swimmer and that mm-hmm. was very Again, just very bizarre for a black person to be a distance swimmer. Um, most of the black people who swam, they were sprinters, um, you know, did anything from like 50 freestyle to the 100 freestyle. But I was always the one doing the 500 meter and then like the mile. The mile was my best event. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was just, it was just bizarre and I remember sometimes at swim meets um after swimming my events and like you know placing pretty high there'd be a lot of coaches that would just be like wow like she swims distance like wow like what are you doing with that kid like asking my coaches and like I had really good coaches I will Mm -hmm. say that my coaches were awesome Mm-hmm. coaches were awesome um but yeah I, it would mostly be a lot of um talk I would hear from other coaches from like other teams kind of just being mm-hmm. questioning like oh like what is she doing or even just mm-hmm. before I even get on the blocks it kind of just be like 
just weird stares like what was that like for you how did you experience them it was you know like looking back on it I do think that I was a little bit um more oblivious to it as in like I didn't mm. really think about it that much because I was just you know like it just was it was pretty regular for me. I don't know. I kind of almost just got used to it. It was like, ah. but then um, I do know, like, as I got like more into high school, I was more um, aware of those types of things and was just sure. like, you know, like I didn't speak out very much at all, but cause I'm a very like soft-spoken <laughs> person, but it was definitely. Um, Which is completely really, hilarious knowing your parents. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm not as soft-spoken as I was, but okay. Um, the, I definitely was more soft-spoken when I was um, a lot younger and I was non-confrontational at all, but mm-hmm. it did, I do remember feeling um, very isolated and just mm-hmm. very, like, I couldn't, you know, like, I couldn't share certain things or, you know, like, I couldn't, um, a, a big thing was my hair. <laughs> my hair. I, bet. <laughs> I was going to go there. Like, how does a black girl handle getting in and out of the water every day? Yeah. So I did end up getting a perm at 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had a perm all the way up until about three years ago. I went natural. Eh? Mm-hmm. Um, but and like, so, so, um, so listeners, what you can't see, she said she went natural. She kind of shook her shoulders a little bit. Yes. And she said that. <laughs> I love my hair. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Um, thank you. Um, but yeah, I w- my hair was a big thing. Like I just remembered being really sad that I couldn't wear my hair like the white girls and it, my hair doesn't look like that when it gets wet. So mm-hmm. like, I just, it doesn't fit under a swim cap. I have to wear braids all the time. Like I didn't like wearing braids at some, at one point because I just thought I look, didn't look like the people around me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I did get a perm Thankfully, it did not take all my hair out. I had healthy hair and perms. Mm-hmm. That is, that is, that's, you're grateful for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I do remember, like, I always would straighten my hair. I'd try to, you know, like, after being in pool, take my swim cap off, my hair would be all straight. And I'd be like, yes, like, I feel like I fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was definitely a big thing uh, growing up feeling a little isolated and feeling like I had to fit into the white norm. So Carly, as you probably know, that one of the things that's really important to me is to talk some about what the challengers are, but also to provide some wisdom about how you managed and dealt with it. And so I'm wondering if you might be willing to share a little bit about how you dealt with that kind of isolation and not quite feeling like you fit in completely and um, those kinds of things. Yeah, I would say that um, when I was definitely when I was younger, I didn't have very good coping skills. Okay, <laughs> I think that like I don't know, I, we we all probably didn't when we were um, a little younger. But I would I'd say like a big way for me was venting to my parents a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like venting, I think just being able to be in a space where you can talk about things and vent without like a filter is like I'd say that's a pretty good um, way to kind of just let out your frustrations but um at the same time like my parents will always remind me to not forget who I am (laughs) and you know that I am a black woman you are not one of those little white girls that they would tell me (laughs) I was told that yep (laughs) I was definitely told that a couple times but um yeah I would say like a 
big thing for me was being able to be in a space and my parents and my friends, like my friends from church were usually mm-hmm. my only um, black friends that I had mm-hmm. because my other, my slim friends, they were all white. <laughs> sure. And, um, but yeah, I think that being able to talk about how you're feeling and just what you're experiencing. Um, mm-hmm. And with my parents specifically, like I remember telling them about certain situations and they'd be like, Oh, it's because you're black. And I'd be like, no, it's not like, blah, blah. and they'd be like, no, like you really have to like look at certain situations and how they, um, like just the way they're structured and how one thing happened to you, but it didn't happen to the other person. Like you really got to think about that. And mm-hmm. they kind of helped me be more aware of mm-hmm. different issues and not be mm-hmm. so like, what's the word? Like naive. Sure. <laughs> about sure. Certain things. And, you know, like not saying that they were like, oh, like, white people are horrible but it was just like you have to be conscious of certain things (laughs) and learn how to um speak up when there's a specific (laughs) injustice happening so well it's called parenting and so that that makes perfect sense to me and 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 i think what what's important about what you said carly is the importance of not being with it alone and so I think that there that all of us, uh, when we are the dot, can feel that sense of isolation. And then weird things happen and you're trying to make sense of it and you're questioning yourself and being able to talk that through with someone that you trust is really important. And so I think that that's good. So tell us about then your journey as you go up the swimming ladder, if you will, um, to college and then leaning into being a shark girl. Yes. Um, so going into college, I will say off the bat, looking back, I experienced the most racism in my college swim team. Um, and, you know, it was for me, like there were a lot of things that were said around me or just like said about me, but I was just trying to fit in because these were the only sure. friends that I had. So I'd just mm-hmm. laugh along with it or mm-hmm. just be like, haha, that was funny or just shrug it off. Um, But looking back, because back then, I will say I did kind of like, I won't say like I lost my identity as a black woman, but it wasn't very like, I was like, you know, whatever, like it's, it is what it is. Like, I don't really care what you guys say. Like, I'm just trying to fit in. Um, But as I got like more into my senior year is when I was like, nah, like this, (laughs) it was uh, talks with the parents, you know, just being more, Mm -hmm. um, more secure in my identity, but definitely going into college, um, I was, I actually had switched from distance to sprinting. So I was like more supposed to, what I was supposed to be, whatever. But um, they, um, and actually I switched to sprinting due to a like health issue that I had in high mm-hmm. school. So couldn't do um, distance swimming anymore, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, just once again was in a mostly white space. There were actually, I think there were two other two other black people on the team um black men on the team with me at the time um but eventually after they graduated I was the only black person mm-hmm. um but at the same time like there were a lot of things that were said around them that they didn't they had no issue with and um you know it was and that's probably why I got comfortable about a lot of the mm-hmm. racist things that were said but mm-hmm. um can you yeah. give us an example um, let's see. Like, there are a lot of times people would be like, oh, like, you're, you're black, you're supposed to be a sprinter. Or like, I'm pretty sure I've heard the N word 
multiple times wow. <laughs> on that whole deck. And um, it was just like, you know, just the white boys being all jokey and just like racist. And, yeah. White supremacist. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just slinging the N word around. And it's just like, wow. All right. That's. Uh, is looking back on it it's just like there were so many things said that were just like not okay mm-hmm. um and things like i remember i had got braids once mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is ridiculous i got um like box braids once and uh-huh. had like and they were like oh my gosh you look like michonne from the walking dead the um you know who michonne is <laughs> no i don't but it doesn't even matter yeah, she's this black girl on Walking Dead that like has a katana, slices up zombies. I mean, she's pretty cool. I won't lie. Like, it's cool to be compared to her. But at the same time, we look nothing alike. Um, sure. She has dreads. I had box braids. Uh-huh. And just, you know, it was just, they were just like, oh my gosh. And then they'd be like, can we touch it? And they'd just put their hands all in my hair. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. Like, isn't uh, that gross? It's so, <laughs> and do you and do you know that that in the research around microaggressions, that Black women's hair being touched is one of the most frequent wow. microaggressions that we experience, especially those of us with natural hair. Wow. Yep. I I have more stories on that as mm-hmm. I get more into my turtle stuff. And let me let me just pause here just for an educative moment. Okay. And the problem with that for people that don't understand that is that it can be experienced like you are a zoo animal. Okay. But also how frequently if you are white has somebody come up to you and just touched your hair without your permission? Or just touch your hair, like touching someone's hair is a very intimate act. Uh, I don't know that anyone touches my hair other than my husband and whomever is doing my hair in the moment, and then me. But and so uh, and so that doing that is really can be experienced as um, a violation, and not just of your personal space, but just a violation. I don't know if any of that resonates for you, Carly. Yeah, for sure. Like it was. Um, it's I've definitely had some people go to like, oh my gosh, and you're just like, you gotta do the next swing. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, yeah. ah, do not touch. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> right. Just even if my hair is in a protective style, like no. Right. Don't Please. touch. It looks right. pretty, yes. I agree with you. It looks right. amazing, but also don't touch. Right. Um but yeah, so I would yeah, it college swimming was it was a amazing experience i will not Mm -hmm. even lie but it was definitely filled with a lot of um realizations on um you know just a lot of the racism that is just one in the sport (laughs) and just two that was just on that team and i do Mm -hmm. remember some people last summer when all the civil unrest was happening there were people who reached out to me and was like i'm sorry for like a lot of the things that were said on the swim team and you know like for not speaking up when things were said and it's just like and you know and that also kind of like validates that wow like yes like I definitely was experiencing yeah yep, yep. a lot of racism on that team mm-hmm. um but yeah so 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 and then there was shark and turtle science yes so mm-hmm. that yes that was just so senior year like I said a little earlier um that's when I really started getting into the um like and more into field work and actually getting into marine science and taking all those cool classes and when I was realizing like yes like this is definitely what I want to do mm-hmm. um and you know like in those classes I was always the 
either one of two or maybe like just the only uh black person and um thankfully like mostly in like academic setting like I didn't experience racism that I can remember at least Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I had amazing professors who always like were very encouraging and just like yes like go do it like you know like you've got this type thing um and I really didn't get into sea turtle stuff until after I graduated. So mm-hmm. I graduated from FAU and then I got a camp counselor um, position at Gumbo Limbo Nature Center. It's in Boca mm-hmm. Raton. And then after that, I got a position as a marine turtle specialist. So I got promoted because there was a um a, a position that opened up um, and there was, you know, at the time I was like, Eh, I don't really, I'm not really into sea turtles, but I mean, it's a marine science job. So I'm going to get my foot in the door in the field at least. Um, sure. And, you know, doing that, of course, I was the only black, I'm pretty sure I was the only black like employee at Gumbo Limbo that wasn't even, wow. that wasn't custodial or sure. mm-hmm. um, maintenance or, you know, um, we're the groundskeeper. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was the only one in that in that field. And, and, and what was that like for you? It was, you know, it was kind of like a, all right, here we go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like, all right. So we just got to, um, deal with this. And, Mm -hmm. um, but at that point in my life, I was like, I am black and I'm going to make it very parent that I am black. I am not going to filter myself for you all. (laughs) And, um, thankfully my supervisors and coworkers were, they they're some of my best friends now Mm -hmm. um but it was you know sometimes I would have more issues with the visitors than anything Mm. um when I would give presentations for the aquarium feeding I'd have people coming up to me like wow like you're so articulate yes Uh Uh I love that one you're so articulate you're so wow that was such a good presentation and like I understand like I'm a good presenter like yes I'm a good presenter but at the same time it was just kind of like a little sometimes it was just overkill because I would I would compare that to how my coworkers would be um, approached afterwards. Um, and they really never got those types of comments or were just like not shock and awe. Yeah, no, not shock and awe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so that really was, um, that was a, that was definitely a big, um, that was something I experienced while there. And also there was, you know, instances of trying to touch my hair sometimes. And I'd be like, "Mm, can you stop? (laughs) Like, just don't. And they were, and it would be like in, like we were, we were, I would, I worked in a sea turtle rehab facility as well, as well. So it's basically like an animal hospital. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, why are you about to touch my hair while we've just been working with these animals? They're not clean. Well, well there's <laughs> and, that. <laughs> and, and my hair is. Exactly. And my hair is just not supposed to be touched. It is just, uh, that was, that, that just, I remember that happened, like, multiple, I don't want to, like, say who it was, because I'm sure they're going to listen, but it's just, <laughs> that happened multiple times, and it was a very, it would be like, no, like, head swerve be like and you know I never said like that's not okay like don't touch my hair but it was I thought I did it enough to be like (laughs) why are you gonna keep doing it (laughs) um but yeah I would and then sometimes on um I did 
work where I would have to actually go out to places and like pick up donations. And there was a time where this was after working there for about three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to pick up donation as I do every single Friday and went back to the city vehicle and the security guard had followed me out. And like, after I put everything in the car, like shut the door and was about to get in the car, he was like, Hey, like, did you pay for that? And I was like, no, this is a donation. He was like, well, I don't know anything about donations. I was like, you must be new here because I come here every week. And he was like, well, like just going back and forth. I was like, you can go get someone, but I'm leaving because I am on the clock and need to get back to work. Um, And I remember coming back and just being like, I was just, I was in tears. So I was just like, has this happened to anyone else? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just Mm -hmm. like, I think I was just like profiled basically. And Mm -hmm. everyone was just like, what? Like, oh my gosh, like, da da da. They ended up like emailing. (laughs) My my supervisor was on it. He was like emailing. He was like, this would not have happened if she was a white, one of our white employees. And like, this needs to be fixed. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. like, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, so it was just like that, you know, it was just kind of a, sometimes people don't realize there's like an extra like bag um, not baggage but just like an extra weight that we have to carry and just an extra um just extra like stress almost just mm-hmm. the black tax yep the black tax <laughs> mm-hmm. so so i i that that was really clear and so i appreciate what you just shared there but one of the things that came up for me as you were just talking is um, which I think is a common experience of a lot of people who are the dot, especially in hyper white spaces, is that they are the only black or brown professional, but then at, at a professional staff, but then there are all these other people who are doing groundskeeping, housekeeping, mm-hmm. kind of. And I'm wondering, how did you negotiate that at all of those relationships or? Was is there anything about that that you want to share? Um, you mean like how did I like communicate with them or yeah, or or because sometimes what I've found is that people will feel more of a kinship with those mm-hmm. folks than their actual kind of um same level colleagues. Yes, yes. So <laughs> yeah, me and the um custodial people were always pretty tight. <laughs> I won't even lie. Yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like, wow, like just another like black face is mm-hmm. in my presence. Wow, it's sure. very comforting. comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like we would definitely talk all the time. And, um, you know, like we always, I don't know. There's just something about having like another black person around in an all white mm-hmm. face that mm-hmm. are and even if they are just custodial or just groundskeeping. Mm-hmm. They, and it's kind of like they, you know that they have kind of an extra eye or like a, you know, they've got your back a little extra and you know that you've got their, I've got their back a little extra because that's right. You know, like we, we know, (laughs) we know how it is. (laughs) Well, and I think what what's interesting about that is my experience has been that all of the things that you just noted are true, but also then there's a certain amount of that they are proud of you, that they um, are happy that you're in that space and, um yeah. and and so that that's some of the dynamic as well yes the um the when i left gumbo limbo to start my new job this month um or last month uh the 
the custodial worker, you know, he was like, I'm so proud of you. Like, it's awesome. Like, you're getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's that definitely awesome. some kinship there. And just like, mm-hmm. you know, casual, even if we don't like have like conversations all the time or like we don't like really know each other, it's just like a, it's just a comfort thing. And, you That's know, right. like, mm-hmm. it was, it's just like, you know, we're on the same way. We know. <laughs> Camaraderie. Yep, come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you ever witness anybody be um, not kind to any of them? Um, no, uh, yeah. I I didn't witness anything. Mm-hmm. So. so tell us about the first time you found your voice and you said something. I guess this really wouldn't be the first time that I found mm-hmm. my voice, but just like very recently, I guess my voice has just been getting a little louder. <laughs> and, so tell us about um, that. Well, since I've founded, uh, co-founded the organization Minorities in Shark Sciences, mm-hmm. um, we've definitely, I feel like I've definitely gotten more of a voice in at least mm-hmm. like the injustices that have that happen within the field of marine science mm-hmm. um and just you know calling out certain things and mm-hmm. um just and not being afraid to do that <laughs> and mm-hmm. also just you know like calling out certain um what is the word like certain <sighs> Uh, programs there we go program like tv programming that was like a big yeah. thing that we uh kind of started doing when we first founded um mm-hmm. our calling out programs for not having any representation people of color in general like not even just sure. black people um sure. in their shark shows and their just marine science mm. shows in general. And, can, I, can i get you to roll back just for a second yes can you talk about because it sounds like that the minorities in shark science mm-hmm. and the founding of that was a coping mechanism. Yeah. So can you can you can you just roll back a little bit, I'll like two or three back. steps, mm-hmm. and tell us kind of how that came to be and what was the impetus and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So uh, I I love telling this story. I uh, I could tell it all the time. So <laughs> um, last summer, when all of the George Floyd was happening and a lot of the civil unrest was happening, um, after there was the incidents, the Chris Cooper incidents where white lady called cops for him just bird watching. Uh-huh. Um, and that kind of inspired a whole movement on social media, specifically Twitter um, and the organization um, I think it was like black birders. Yeah. They mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Black birders. And they mm-hmm. started, they started a hashtag called black in nature, basically just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, saying, mm-hmm. we are black and we love nature and we're here like breaking the stereotype. <laughs> so I'm just going to interrupt here just for a shameless plug in season <laughs> one, I actually interviewed a black birder oh, who so cool. was um, Drew Latham, who um, is a professor at, Clemson University, I believe, but awesome. oh my god, uh, yes, I you know I heard, I heard a, um he did like a really cool speech, didn't he? Yes, yes, yes. okay, yes. Yeah. Yes. Clemson, yeah. yeah, and so yep, so so um so here we are with another person, Black in Nature. This is awesome, but so go for it. So the hashtag Black in Nature, yes, Black in Nature, and. Um, I had posted like some shark sea turtle stuff and was like, hashtag black in nature. I'm out here doing this stuff. Cool. Um, and then like random, like at that point I had like maybe 200 followers on Twitter. And then like by the end of the day, I had like over three, 4,000 followers. I had like 5,000 plus 
probably almost 10,000 people like retweeting and like favoriting the tweet. And I was like, what is going on? You went viral! It, like, a little, well, and then it was just like there were so many people who had posted the black in nature that were going viral. And it was just like wow. really cool to see all these black people who were working outside, like in the field, showing that they loved that. It was just like, oh, it was just like such a powerful movement. Um, but basically, after I tweeted that, there were um, the current co-founders, like they had commented under my thing and was like, oh my gosh, like another black girl in shark science. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's another black girl in shark. Like what? So basically the four of us had re- like, we were like, oh my gosh, we're not alone. Like it was crazy. Like I still get excited sometimes because it's just like the moment of seeing like another black woman in shark science like working with sharks in the field doing research <laughs> like it was just like what like i thought there was no one else um so wow. after that we, we that's were the like, power of the internet right yeah exactly mm-hmm. the power of the internet and after that um we were like haha we should start a club <laughs> and then we like got on um we got on zoom and was like hey like we just were talking about how like we're how we've been feeling in the field how we like always felt alone and just never really felt like we were being represented um and we were like let's let's start something so we decided to start minorities in shark science um we launched on juneteenth because why not that's so cute i love it (laughs) yes (laughs) we're like why not um and from that we we definitely gained a larger platform than we initially thought we would. So that first weekend of us launching um, our fundraising goal for the whole year was 25,000. And we were like, haha, let's just throw 25,000 out there. That first weekend that we launched, we got, we were about 80 to 88% to our yearly goal. (laughs) That was, and then we ended up hitting that goal about a week later. So it was like, we were just like, all right, so this was one needed. And two, this is like, we are on a huge platform right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course there were the people that were mad. Oh, there's, what do we need this for? But at the same time, there were a lot of people that were just like, yes, like this is needed. Like we, like there were other people who were feeling alone and like, wow, like we just like, it was just really cool. (laughs) And um, we kind of, we, we all, I think like found our voices a little bit um, with that. And I mean, there were some other girls, um, some of the other co-founders they definitely had a little bit of a social platform um before that but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know now that we're kind of just like in the spotlight now it's like oh like we've got a little bit of power <laughs> um, so how so how are you using your voice yeah so we are we actually just announced a partnership with um national geographic and yes so so basically we are partnering with them to get more um get a more diverse uh get more diverse researchers on their shark shows next year um and it's going to be filled with black brown all of that bipoc researchers and the cool research that they do um and yeah, so that is, I would say that's that's a pretty big way that we've been using our voice lately. <laughs> well, that is freaking amazing. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, that is just wow. Wow. So when I think about the beginning of your trajectory and your story and you're trying to find your way and find your voice Mm -hmm. and try to fit in, right? Yes. And now you're like, "Mm, I'm no, I'm I'm good right here. I'm black. Good right here. What is fitting in? (laughs) Right, right, right. And so how have you individually, Carly, so you're talking about minorities and shark science, but how have you individually found your voice in the midst of this and how does it impact your everyday kind of life? Yeah, I would say that once um, we launch and everything, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but it was kind of like I opened my eyes a little bit more mm. to my surroundings. And, um, you know, there was a lot more like people coming to me being like, what can we do to like make this better? How can we sure. get more diverse or like just, you know, and it was like more people coming to me and I was like, all right, like I need to <laughs> figure this out. Sure. <laughs> and sure. Um, so it really has helped me kind of, you know, call, not even call out, but just, you know, help people to figure out how to get either their programs more diverse mm-hmm. or even just, um, you know, just calling out like certain things that people say. And I'm like, hey, that's not okay. <laughs> Don't say that. You find, you, you find yourself saying that more at work? Yeah, I say, find nice. myself saying, maybe not not yet at the current job. I've only been here for a month. So mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm right. still like, kind of like feeling my way through, but, sure. um, <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely a lot of, a lot more of, Hey, like that's not okay. Or just being, um, being more comfortable, just talking about um, issues that I've gone through or just things that are happening, things that I want to see changed. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I started doing a lot more science communication. I guess that's, that's definitely a, way that I've found my voice um, as well is because I um, have gotten more requests to like speak to um, groups, speak to classrooms, speak to different um, universities. And it's, it's really, it's really cool to me because it's like, the more I talk about um, my experiences and everything, the more I'm just like, wow, like, I've I've come so far <laughs> and also like I've really found my voice in this and science communication is a really uh, important thing for me because I think it's very important to be able to communicate science effectively and not in a way that's like just jargon like sure. <laughs> just mm-hmm. a different language um, and I think it's really important to know um, how to communicate to you know black people and black communities because mm-hmm a lot of scientists don't know how to talk to black communities. And unfortunately, like that's, that's kind of, that's one reason why a lot of us aren't even in this field is because they're sure. not communicated to properly. Um, so that's been uh, a passion that has kind of grown out of this that I didn't mm-hmm. think that I had before, but then it kind of mm-hmm. like, happened. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this is so awesome. I'm, I'm, I love this story so much. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize this is where we we're going to land, but I love it so much. Um, because you have gone from not having a voice to speaking for yourself and for other people not in shark science and for people who are not connected. So 
uh, other people in shock science and people who are not connected. And so using your voice and your platform to with Nat Geo, it's so important, right? Yeah. That um, to show diverse kind of faces in the field would make another five-year-old little girl find the book at the book fair exactly. and be like, oh, right. And there are other people who do this that look like me, Yeah, which is so important. Exactly. Yeah. There's, I remember people would be asking me like, oh, who's your favorite shark sign? I, mean, I don't know. I just like sharks. <laughs> like, I <remember laughs> like I never really like, I, there was no one that I saw that I was like, yes, like I attached them because, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, there was a point mm-hmm. in, I think, maybe in high school when I did, I realized how like, how white like shark week was and how there was mm-hmm. literally no, like anyone else other than like a white male or like even sometimes like white females, even then like just women in general aren't very um represented in shark week. Mm-hmm. But I do remember mm-hmm. being like, you know, like, well, if there's no one in the, um in that field, I guess I'll be the first one. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. kind of something that um pushed me through like a lot of the different, um, things that I experienced and you know racism Mm -hmm. and everything and I was like I'm I'm gonna be the first one I'm gonna be the first one Uh, I gotta I gotta I gotta be the example (laughs) I gotta be Mm -hmm. the representation for another person who might be interested but you know Mm -hmm. like sometimes people like don't even go into a field because they don't see themselves sure you bet absolutely I I mean that's was part of my dissertation study was Mm um was looking at the kind of things that African-American women did in their careers as a result of their family origin experiences. And one of the things was about social resources, being able to see themselves or be connected to something in a field or something like that, that would um, would make them be interested in it. And if you can't see it, you can't be it. I mean, it's like without a vision, people cast off restraint, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how does this feel to have kind of found your groove and your niche and your people and your voice um tell me how how does it feel i can't do i can i even describe how it feels it's like i'm gonna try my best but really just being able to find my people was like a big thing because that was Mm -hmm. i remember talking to my parents a lot about like I don't even have that many black friends because like the spaces mm-hmm. that I'm in there are no sure. <laughs> there's like no black people in any space that I enter and um you know it's just it's just amazing to be able to have um my people and you know me and the co-founders we're we're pretty close and like we text okay. all the time and you mm-hmm. know like we were able to meet each other for the first time, like in person, um, during nice. workshops a couple, uh, a month or two ago. And that was just like further feeling like I am with my people. Like we were just like so good together and, um, just being able to speak so freely about, you know, my experiences and just what needs to change and marine science and shark science and everything is just like very freeing and just, mm-hmm. you know, it's something I never, I never saw myself really doing this, but sure. I mean, like I started 
thinking about, um, I remember one of my mentors, <laughs> we were on the boat doing shark tagging and I was talking to her. I think this was last January. Yeah, last January. I was like, I just want to get more black people in shark science. Like, And this, she's white. But I was just like, I just want to get more black people in shark science. Like, how do I do this? Like, I don't even know where to start. And then like literally six months later, we wow. start miss. So <laughs> wow. I was just like, wow. what? What? <laughs> um so yeah it's it's hard to put in so words this, but it feels absolutely amazing wow well I'm 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 honing in on the word freeing mm-hmm. and so you went from trying to find your voice to being free uh, with your voice and using it in ways that are really impactful so I have two other questions for you we're almost at the end of our time the first is what and I ask this question of every one of the people that I interview. What's the one thing that you would tell white people about making shark science more inclusive or marine science? I would say the first thing that popped into my brain is listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think just like white people in general have to listen more because um, I think that they do get a little offended pretty easily um but Mm -hmm. especially when you start talking about them and they're what they what they're doing is not okay and it's like what do you mean it's not okay like but yeah I'd say listen um is a big one and also Mm -hmm. um just in shark science in general it's very systemic Uh, well just everything Mm -hmm. is systemic but um sure and well just marine science as a whole like it's it's very um one of the biggest reasons why it's so white is because it is very expensive to get into this field. Mm, and, um, mm. You have to kind of like golf and yeah, lacrosse exactly. and equestrian mm-hmm. and hockey, tennis, hockey. like it. tennis. Yeah. Yes, and um, I'd say like I think that they need to listen more on, you know, if they're really serious about trying to get more um trying to reach communities or give opportunities to others that don't usually get the opportunities they have to listen more and be willing to make sacrifices because um in this field you have to pay for a lot of experience but um what me and miss are doing we're trying to you know help organizations figure out how they can not make certain people pay for experiences because you know that's a big barrier in this field and um Mm -hmm. i think being able to listen and receive um feedback and to be able to reflect i think is very important um and just reflect on programs and just you know just listen (laughs) wow that's awesome so what would this carly say to that 11 year old girl walking into the um the pool area and looking around and everybody's staring at her i'd say it's okay you'll get through it (laughs) good things are coming just good things are coming (laughs) because yeah because you know like i think growing up i definitely had a lot of anxiety and you know then you know you did at that age, no one really calls it anxiety. They're just like, oh, mm-hmm. you're just a kid. But you know, looking back at it and after having sessions myself, it's just like I had bad anxiety when I was younger. So it was, you know, just going back to little Carly and being like, you're going to be okay. 
because it was a lot of like thinking into the future or just like, you know, being too engulfed in the moment and not just like letting things go. Um, And, you know, I think, yeah, I would just be like, it's okay. You're going to get through it. It is not the end of the world. I was very dramatic as well, but you know. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I I just want to let you know for the village um, and that I am so proud of you and I am delighted about what you are doing and how you're using um, your uh, your power and your platform to make space for other people. And I'm also proud of your Shark Sisters from the Miss Group. Um, tell the people how to find you. So you can find me on Instagram um, at Carly. That's with two E's. So C-A-R-L-E-E and then M-J underscore. So that's on Instagram and Twitter. And then um, for my Miss uh, Minorities and Shark Science organization, um, our website is Miss Elasmo. So E-L-A-S-M-O dot org. Um, and then all of our social media handles are at Miss Elas- Miss underscore Elasmo. M-I-S-S, right? Yeah. Minorities and Shark Science. How many... How many people? Uh, How many people are um, are a part of Miss at this point? Ah, uh, yes, there are over two hundred and fifty members. Shut up! Yeah, <laughs> isn't that crazy? I think it's some like two eighty or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's two hundred eighty whatever. Um, women of color that are either interested in shark science or already within the field of shark science. It varies, like early career, um, some professionals, but a lot of like high school as well. Um, nice. but yeah, so it's kind of like. Clearly, we were needed because these desperately, yeah, because we've created like a safe space for these girls and um, a space where we're also like uplifting and highlighting what they're doing. So, yeah, well, congratulations, thank you. And let me know if I can do anything for you. I'm I really for sure. That. Yes. All right. Definitely. All right. Thank you to our guest daughter, Carly Jackson, for joining me on this week's episode of Being the Dot. This episode was edited by Dr. Heather Lang. Special thanks to our interns and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot podcast is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. David's Delicious Delights, custom-made, personalized pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com and receive 25% off with the Being the Dot discount code. Be sure to join us next week. I know we've been gone for a while, but we're back now. I'm excited after our unexpected hiatus to be able to bring you some really wonderful content. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.